You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast produced by the IBSC. I'm Bruce Collins, and it's such a privilege to be your host. In today's episode, we'll be reflecting on 2020. What a year it has been. And David, Amy, and I in the IBSC office have been astounded by the way in which our member schools have faced the challenges of a very difficult year. As the IBSC board met in La Jolla, California in January, we had no idea what 2020 would turn into. And I remember speaking with Australian IBSC colleagues back then about the devastating wildfires that started blazing in December 2019 and had continued into the new year. These fires burned a record 47 million acres, displaced thousands of people and also caused a loss of life. The IBSC community in that time showed support for Australian member schools, some of whom were directly impacted by those fires. Around the same time, on January 9th, the World Health Organization announced that a deadly coronavirus had emerged, and in a matter of months, the virus had spread across the globe. Scheduled IBSC regional events worldwide had to be cancelled, and member schools across the world started moving online in March 2020. In extraordinary times like these, the value of community is priceless. And despite not being able to meet in person, IBSC schools continued to support each other and offer advice. In essence, we continued to learn from each other. The words of our board chair, Tom Batty, in those early months of the pandemic still ring true today. We're in challenging times and there will be some things in common that we're all facing. Each school will have its own particular matters, but there is an that there's a, there's a fair bit of this that we're all facing together. We are stronger together without a shadow of doubt. Um, our ability to learn from and support each other is so important and the IBSC plays an important part in that. We will be disrupted. It will be a difficult time for schools. It will be a difficult time for the coalition. And we will, we will respond and we will adapt and there will, be, there will be an impact, but we will emerge stronger. As Tom said then, and what still rings true now, is that we are definitely stronger together. Very early on in the pandemic, IBSC member schools were eager to share how they were adapting and adjusting to new ways of learning in an effort to support one another. These thoughts were captured in our Community in a Time of Crisis podcast that released in April 2020. Much of what was shared there and continues to be shared between IBSC schools on various forums is summarized by EdTech integration expert Lindsay Wessner, who in our August 2020 Boys and Online Learning webinar reminded us of the power of collaboration. If I could leave with one thought, it would be the importance of collaboration for ourselves as educators. There are, there are so many teachers, you know, in your in your in your community in your country that are all looking at the same curriculum we're all you know really trying to achieve the same thing um, and I would say if education is a competition then no one is winning and our children are losing and really keep those conversations going because otherwise um, I think we will all cave under the under the pressure and the workload if we try and try and kind of conquer this mountain of, of new of new ways of learning designed by ourselves 
it's really exciting to see how IBSC schools are embracing the spirit of collaboration in these difficult times. Not only did schools share best practice this year, but we've seen people come together through various programs. For example, our Headways offering uh, in partnership with NCGS or our new Ideas Lab programs, which are constantly evolving and aim to bring different groups of people together. Our webinar series was also well received with much discussion and sharing taking place and we recently launched a parent speaker series on our new IBSC Shorts platform. We ended this year with an opportunity for heads of school to connect to in a virtual day of global happy hours. All of these opportunities, and let's not forget our virtual annual conference in June, have continued to remind us of the real power of community and the power of community support. In the midst of a very difficult year, in May 2020, the world's attention was drawn to the killing of George Floyd, and the ensuing global protests highlighted the need for society to reckon with racism, but more importantly, for schools in particular to become places that prioritize justice, equity, inclusion, diversity, and anti-racism. Dr. Derek Gay, who is partnering with us on a number of IBSC programs, highlighted for us in a recent webinar what about this moment in time has made these happenings resonate differently. In my work really since, since, since March, um, I've, I've been analyzing this and given a great deal of thought as to, to the why, why now, um, because it's not as if racism is new. Um, it's not as if these things haven't been happening, not only in our society at large, but also in our schools. So what specifically about this moment uh, made it resonate uh, differently? And so there are a couple of things at play. One, I think, is certainly because of the global pandemic, which is arguably the greatest disruptor we've had in decades from a social perspective, from a, a social economic perspective. Think about our schools, certainly. Um, that it's it stopped us um so we're not all about and out at movies and dinners and spending time with people outside so that's provided some focus um it's not that technology is different we've had cameras and videos for quite some time this isn't the first video that we've seen the first video footage so we've had focus but the other part is that we've also i think have been quite raw in terms of our feelings. Uh, there is sickness all around us. There is death all around, all around us. We're quite aware of the, of the uh, rising numbers of, of, of COVID cases. And so this whole idea of, of actually caring, um, our, our feelings are raw. Um, so the connection of having the time um, and the focus and also caring a bit more, um, I think has allowed us to actually stop and take focus and uh, really think about you know, sort of what does this look like, the, the, the awareness and what does it look like in our schools around, around inclusion. Um, I do work with Sesame Street and I always mention them because it forces me to take these large complicated concepts and distill them into ways that a three-year-old can understand. And we define empathy as understanding and caring about the feelings of others. So you had a perfect, um, a perfect situation there of the understanding piece, uh, the heightening of awareness, and then also the ability to care that I think have compelled 
um, schools in, into, into action, particularly around diversity, equity, inclusion, and racial inclusion in, in particular. Derek's thoughts were echoed by Jack Pinnell, IBSC board member and the founder of Baltimore Collegiate School for Boys. Jack also leads the IBSC Task Force on recognizing, acknowledging, and addressing inequities in the lives of young men of color. And the thoughts that follow are from Jack's introduction to the second week of our new Boys and Belonging online class. I can't think of a better topic at this time in the world as we deal with the pandemic crisis, uh, the worldwide pandemic crisis, and also deal with, uh, I think, what I call an awakening across the globe around racial injustice and um, our, the way that we live together in our communities, though they are very different, uh, we seem to be addressing some of the similar issues around racial injustice and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and all of these, that those topics, those three topics, diversity, equity, and inclusion, seem to me to be the form, the kind of orbit, uh, or orb, I guess, of what schools are dealing with um, across the country, our, our member schools are dealing with across the world with uh, boys of color, uh, boys from indigenous backgrounds, boys who may be economically marginal in your communities. Uh, this is what we mean about belonging. How do you belong to a school community? What does it mean to belong to a school community? Uh, both from the perspective of the boy, perspective of teachers, perspective of administrators. In response to this global conversation, IBSC released a statement earlier this year affirming all efforts to end racial inequity and social injustice. While this statement is available for all to read on our website, Jack Pinnell gives us some insight. We were uh, really excited to, um, to have the IBSC, which is a global organization with a global reach and is um, one of the few organizations that I know of, besides the United Nations or the World Bank, <laughs> that has just a, a diversity of members across the world. I was proud to uh, be appointed to be chair of a task force within the IBSC, and we helped to create a statement from the IBSC, an affirmation of our efforts as a global organization to end racial inequity and social injustice. In 2015, at our uh, annual uh, global conference in Cape Town, South, South Africa, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who is just uh, a person I admire deeply and profoundly, I've had an opportunity to organize an event for him here in the United States uh, quite a few years ago, um, he said at that conference, and he was a speaker at that conference, uh, the IBSC conference, uh, we were made for interdependence. And he uses the word Ubuntu. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, and does not feel threatened by the abilities of the other. We are diminished when others are humiliated, we are diminished 
when others are tortured or oppressed. Ubuntu speaks about our interconnectedness. You cannot be human all by yourself. We think of ourselves far too often as individuals separated from one another. And I wasn't at that conference, but I can imagine Bishop Tutu, whose stature is about, he's about 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, when he talks, he bounces on his toes and he smiles and he laughs. And, but he's always very clear and very sharp with his words. And to me, I feel uh, how prescient it was for him to make that charge to IBSC, to, to consider, to embrace, to hold the other, to bring the other, the boys of color, the boys of uh, indigenous cultures, whether that be in uh, New Zealand or Australia, or the boys who, um, we have a school in Hawaii who might be in, you know, native Hawaiian, or we have schools in, uh, in, in India, we have schools in England and in um, Canada, and we have people of all colors walking into our schools. You know, there's a part of every boy when he walks into that setting that he leaves part of himself at the door in order to be part of a school community. We're, um, we're assimilating institutions. We expect people to conform to even my own school, which is uh, unapologetic, unapologetically black and predominantly black and brown boys. Uh, we, have, we set an expectation in schools that you have to behave and act a certain way. Uh, and that's communicated uh, directly and also indirectly. And the question is, is like now in the, in the space of the awakening in the world, is like, is that fair? Is that, is that, you know, can we be introspective about the ways in which we ask boys to belong and the ways in which we make them feel that they don't belong? And I think that as we move forward in our work with the IBSC, the task force, that we're going to be looking at these, I don't want to see them as issues, but, looking at, but unpacking what school, what boys' school culture is and what it can be if we think about inclusion and diversity and equity. This is such important work, and it's wonderful to see the way member schools are embracing the challenge of what Derek Gay calls courageous conversations about belonging in their spaces. Another issue of which we have all become acutely aware this year is that of supporting the boys in our care, particularly with regard to their social and emotional well-being. Natasha Devon, a mental health expert from the United Kingdom, who contributed to both a podcast and one of our parents' speaker series keynotes, highlights the importance of being aware of boys' mental health. When you look at education and mental health, there are several instances in which it is boys and men who are disadvantaged. And I am concerned with fairness. That's my jam. That's what motivates me. I don't really have an interest in representing any one particular group. I just want the world to be fairer. Here's what I think is happening with young men and their mental health. So a lot of the coverage, the media coverage that we see about mental health focuses on girls and young women. 
And that's because when you look at the statistics on a superficial level, girls are suffering disproportionately. So you, you will see statistics like this. Women are three times more likely to receive a diagnosis of depression than men. That's receive a diagnosis. But some people take that statistic and they use it to assume that women are three times more likely to experience depression. Therefore, depression affects women disproportionately. So they'll start to ask themselves questions about what it is about the experience of being a woman that might lead you to become depressed. And that's a mistake. And I'll explain why it's a mistake in a minute. When you look at girls and young women, you'll see that two thirds or more than two thirds of antidepressant prescriptions for teenagers are for girls. And you'll also see that hospital admissions for self-harm are up by two thirds amongst girls. Now, what these three statistics have in common is that they're about medical intervention as opposed to the experience of the illness. They're not actually telling you that girls and women suffer disproportionately. What they're telling you is that women ask for help more or women talk about it more and therefore are able to access help more. Even looking at that hospitalization statistic, the graph that you can see in front of you. Yes, hospitalizations for self-harm in the form of cutting and self-poisoning are up by two thirds amongst girls. But there is an acknowledged form of self-harm that any psychologist you will talk to will tell you is a very real phenomenon where boys who want to self-harm will get themselves into fights that they know they can't win because it's a socially acceptable way of inflicting pain upon yourself as self-punishment. Now, if that boy is injured during that fight to the extent that he requires hospitalization, when he gets to hospital, that incident will be logged as a fight it won't be logged as an incident of self-harm. So you have to see these statistics sometimes, I think, as breadcrumbs that lead you to a truth rather than representative of a truth in its own right. Boys and young men are flying under the mental health radar. It's not that they're not experiencing problems. It's that they're not talking about it. They're being noticed less. Perhaps they're not being taken as seriously. Perhaps we don't listen in the same way. Perhaps we have an unconscious bias, which tells us that girls and young women are more likely to suffer. And therefore, we're just looking for it more with girls and women. Particularly in the light of the pandemic in 2020, we need a heightened awareness of boys' social and emotional well-being. I've been doing digital mentoring with teenagers throughout lockdown, and there's really three kind of key things that are coming out of it. First of all, they miss their friends. And that might sound like a trivial concern. But of course, when you're a teenager, you have um, sort of unprecedented levels of dopamine in your brain. And one of the reasons for that is because your the whole um, your body and your brain, the whole nature of your uh, makeup is trying to encourage you to establish independence from your parents so that you can evolve to become the adult that you're going to be. And part of that process is this increased dependency on friendship groups. So your friends are really never more important than they are during your teenage years. So the absence of that interaction is really impacting teenagers hugely. Um, that's the first thing. Um, 
the second thing is problems with motivation. So a lot of schools in the UK have been really good at essentially uploading the curriculum onto an online uh, space, doing um, digital talks, digital classrooms, um, digital one-to-one sessions with teachers. And it's fantastic that technology gives us the opportunity to do that. But nobody has taught young people how to motivate themselves to learn outside of a classroom environment. So they're sat, you know, in their bedroom or maybe in the kitchen or wherever it is that they are. And everything that they associate with free time, with downtime, trying to understand, you know, how how to timetable themselves, when it's appropriate to take breaks, how to find the motivation to do the things that they dread. And, you know, somebody who I'm a freelancer and I often work from home, that's something that took me years to properly establish. So, you know, expecting teenagers to do that is, is a huge thing. Um, And then the third thing is perhaps the least surprising thing, just real heightened anxiety. And that's both anxiety about what's happening now, worries about kind of the health of their family, but also anxieties about the future. Because um, I don't know if this is the situation everywhere, but we had exams cancelled this year in the UK. And a lot of universities have said that they're not going to open until September 2021. So it's, you know, all of the, you know, education can be quite linear, can't it? And you you have your sights set on this kind of end point. And for a lot of people, that's become really uncertain. So it's helping them to deal with that. My conversation earlier this year with Tim Jarvis from member school Michael House in South Africa contextualizes some of what Natasha has shared for teachers of boys as Tim reflects on the importance of the pastoral care of boys in our schools. Boys have an emotional life, and um, the, the, but that it's quite easy to overlook it in, in terms of how they present that emotional life, which in some cases is like not at all. Um, you know, we, we, we might sort of wonder if they have one, have one at all. But, but uh, you know, boys, I mean, I remember my first few years at my class and I would take what was then called life skills classes and you'd get a couple of boys sitting in the back you know, with with a sort of mask of uh, disinterest or even even like like anger sitting there, but th- th- those were often the boys that, um, with a bit of uh, probing in terms of conversations, would would then um, you know open up hugely around what was going on in the in their lives. But if you took if you took boys at face value, um, as we're often tempted to do, I think then then we sometimes miss that they they have that emotional life and that therefore we don't see that it's it's necessary or important to 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 provide that sort of pastoral care and um and and it's also easier not to i mean it, uh, good pastoral care and getting teachers and, and tutors involved in in caring for boys i mean it's hard because it's because it's hard work um it takes time and commitment and you know as a teacher's finishing one lesson and maybe got a pile of marking or a faculty meeting to get to or the next class coming in you d- you don't really want to spend that that short turn of a time or your free period you know, in, engaging with, it's, it's difficult. Um, so it is easier to, to pretend and it's easy to pretend because boys allow us that to do that. It's easy to pretend that everything's all right. And, um, uh, but we, but we mustn't assume that what boys present, um, on, on the, on the outside is what's going on in the, on the inside. And maybe just one, um, sort of one sort of series of series of series of stats, if you like, is I mean, school, we're about academics and, I was just reading the in the United Kingdom, um, in terms of in terms of academic performance, you know, more girls will go through to university to to read for a degree 
and will boys. Um, once they get to university, um, more girls will then complete their degree than will boys do. And, and then once they complete their degrees, more boys, more girls will be scoring a sort of 2-1 or, or above them than boys will. So right the way through. And, and that, that's mirrored in, in school results by and large as well in, in different countries around the world. So, so you know, girl, girls do sort of better academically. And um, some of the thinking around that is that the, the boys just don't know how to ask for help or, or get the help they need. And we know that people who receive pastoral or academic support um, report that it, that it helps. And um, so it's important that, that boys do that, but they, they often don't. And I think that's why pastoral care is, is so important. Not only has the mental well-being of boys been a priority in this difficult year, but so is the mental health of teachers and leaders in schools. Dr. Shimi Kang highlights for us some of the stressors for which this year is responsible. You know, the stress is really pervasive. Um, you know, we are stressed in our personal lives about um, our own health, people we care about, um, our community. And then there's the financial economic um, stress of a nation and the globe. Um, and then as leaders and educators, you are also taking on the stress of your students, your staff, um, a large number of people. So all of that um, sense of responsibility happening so quickly that the other aspect of that is the rapid change of it. And then the day-to-day -day stress of Zoom calls and Google Hangouts that um, add further. So all of that, uh, in my opinion, is releasing cortisol um, and adrenaline, which is impacting blood pressure, our immune systems, our ability to uh, strategize and problem solve. So I'm really happy to help uh, try to reduce all that. It's so important for educators to practice self-care. Rachel Mokone, a psychologist from South Africa, reminded us earlier this year to take time for ourselves, even in the midst of managing pandemic-related and other 2020 challenges. There's self-care at an individual level. So each person needs to have something of, okay, these are the mechanisms I use to cope. And uh, coping mechanisms don't have to be brand new, like now I've started doing this because of the coronavirus. It's um, things that you've always all along uh, done to look after yourself. So if it's spending time with family, if it's um, exercise, if it's um, making sure that you're active in your religion and uh, turning things over to a higher power. Um, so those are mechanisms that you can bring out to continue to use and to make sure that you make time to have those um, self-care um, times in place, um, as well as, I guess, uh, then thinking in terms of actually I'm not alone in this. Um, and also it's not a competition that if my school is okay, I'm better off than the following people. It's actually a place where community would be um, embraced and should be embraced in this time that, hey, I've got my four other principals, I've got my four other leaders in the schools, um, let's catch up in a Zoom call one hour, you know, and really connect in terms of what are we going through at an individual level, um, as as well as being able to harness then what's, what are others doing, because that's where you'd be able to get, you know, a good a good idea or a good uh, feel of the pulse of what's going on in other places. Um, I think sometimes when, when a crisis hits, people withdraw and then they want to sort of survive on their own and look after just me and I need to find all the solutions within this 
uh, sphere, but it's so powerful. And I, and I like the idea of this webinar and that internationally people can connect um, and be able to say, hey, uh, what's going on with you? So four or five people come together and have something of a, a conversation about where they really are at and some of the challenges that they're facing. And again, also what those challenges are doing to them. And so, as we reflect on 2020, Rachel's words ring true. We are not alone in this. The IBSC community has continued to encourage and support one another. I have heard of so many in the coalition embracing the opportunity to connect, despite the physical distance we feel. Let's not lose that. The insights and snippets featured on this episode are from the webinars, podcasts, keynotes, online classes and other programs hosted by IBSC in 2020. Please head to our website to check out our upcoming and current programs and access past Exploring Boys Education episodes on your favorite podcast platform. As we all head into some downtime, over the holiday season for the Northern Hemisphere and for the end of academic year holidays for member schools in the Southern Hemisphere, we at IBSC want to raise a toast to all of you for continuing to champion boys' education, even in the face of adversity. So thank you for listening to Exploring Boys' Education this year. We look forward to bringing you more valuable information to help all of us guide boys on the journey to leading fulfilling lives. Until then, keep safe. Catch you in 2021.